Hello and welcome back, I guess, to How Good Is That? Season 2, To the Black. Okay, that requires a lot of unpacking and I'll get to it in a moment. But for right now, my name's Dan. J-Rod. Oh. One sexy companion named Max. <laughs> so, for the explanation that introduction requires... How Good Is That is a podcast that was inspired by a podcast that J-Rod and I did earlier this year, this year being 2018, where we watched every Marvel movie that existed up to that point and then ranked them in order. And we decided we love talking about stuff and ranking stuff. Almost as long as I've known Max, he's loved putting lists together. I and so lists. this is a lists podcast. And what we're going to do is two-ish times a year you know, one to three seasons a year, we're going to take a thing and we're going to rank all of the things in that thing. So the first podcast that sort of served as a backdoor pilot for this was To Infinity War, our Marvel ranking podcast. And this season two is our Firefly and also Serenity, the movie ranking podcast to the black. We're going to follow the same format we did for the Marvel stuff. We're going to go in chronological release order. And then we're going to have a final episode where we talk about our personal rankings, uh, in this case of 1 to 15. And we're going to talk the list of rankings given to us by you, the viewers, uh, and then taken into an aggregate as the viewers, like we did the last listeners. time. Listeners, not viewers. Well, they're consumers of the media. I like calling them consumers. Consumers of the media. You know, so, we have a product. It's free. Yeah, yeah. They consume. Consume. Yeah, that's why I like it. <laughs> so yes. Defecate. De I don't know about all that. So this first episode is I don't going know to what Max consumes. <laughs> I mean, do you don't defecate? I don't consume it. <laughs> No, it's the, you know, at the end of, uh, uh, is it Year Zero? Possibly. Or is it Body and Blood? Body year and Blood. Year One starts? It's the end of, <laughs> the end end of Year Zero, Year One starts. <laughs> <laughs> Theoretically, yes. At the end of that ghost song, that's, that's, uh, they say, like, uh, what is it? Uh, digest, or consume, digest, defecate at the very end. Yeah. They whisper it. I mean, that, that would be the order. <laughs> Odd if you do that out of order. So anyway, we're going to start off the podcast after that small uh, diatribe. And we are going to talk about the two-parter actual first episode of Firefly called Serenity. Not the not really a pilot treated as a pilot, the train job, which was the first episode that most people saw when Firefly had aired on TV. Yeah, so that's where the chronological order isn't necessarily correct in right. this instance. Intended more, release order. It, yeah, intended order is how we're doing this. I believe there's an order you're supposed to watch, or you can watch the Star Wars movies in, that's called like Hatchet Order or something. I'm pretty sure that's what Fox did to this one. <laughs> I think it's Machete. It's Machete Order. Is it Machete? All right, yeah. well, I'm calling this one Hatchet Order. Cause... Because Machete don't watch episode one. Yeah, because... Uh... This one was a hatchet job on Fox's part, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. I ruined typing the word machete just then. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for that, it's um, four, five, two, three. Six. Six. And then the rest. I, I would try that. I've done it. It's, 
it's a lot better than watching episode one. I threw episode one in anyway, just because I was watching all of them. But that's what I did uh, pre-episode seven coming out. But we're not here to talk about Star Wars. We're in fact here to talk about uh, probably my favorite television series ever. Uh, And I know it ranks pretty highly uh, on everybody else's list as well. Crap, we gotta make a list about that? (laughs) No, we do not have to yet make a list about that. Someday, perhaps. Season 12 of this is going to be ranking the first 11 seasons of (laughs) this show. Of how good is that? (laughs) But we're not there yet. Oof. So I was going to say, favorite TV shows ever. That's going to be a toughie. I mean, this this one definitely comes very close for me. Uh, That's in my top three. Partly because, as a double episode, this is a movie. Like, a lot of television, I watch a lot of TV, probably more than, I know at least more than Max, possibly more than Paul. I don't know about J-Rod at various points. I watch all the DCs, so. Yeah. This this show, especially for, you know, 2002, like Mm -hmm. fall of 2002, 16 years ago now, uh, this was a time when genre television that wasn't called Star Trek the something or Star Trek something just wasn't very good. And we got very real television out of space 500 years in the future. Yeah, no, show uh, is real good. This episode was really good. I don't understand Fox's hesitation to release this episode first, but, you know. The only thing they did it right. Well, yeah, the only thing I've ever seen that sort of defends their decision making was that it's a big double episode with a lot that goes on. But the problem that I have with it is it also introduces three of the characters who go on to become series regulars. Mm hmm. (laughs) Like it has to not to mention Badger. uh, it, It has to be big. Right. It has to do a lot because it's setting up the world. This is the world building episode, right? What is the first? It's the first more than five minutes is just a flashback, but you don't know it's a flashback. Yeah. Um. I mean, we'll get more into the train job when we get to the train job. But part of the part of the thing that I dislike the most about the train job is the constant vomiting of repeat lines so that we can quickly catch up with who everyone is. Yeah like really crappy like very tv throwaway style lines about what your crazy sister over there like stuff like that's just like oh which is is a shame because it's a good like the train job's a good story and the fact that they throw away so much of what happens in this episode to to replace it with a de facto other pilot is very is very annoying especially also because like the introduction of characters in this like the opening actual scene post the flashback to the Battle of Serenity Valley. Is it a flashback if it starts at the beginning of the show? Good question. I mean, that's... When the next thing says later? Maybe it's not then. Maybe... I've never, honestly, in... Well, let's see. I didn't watch the whole series when it aired, so I didn't see this episode when it aired, but I saw it later. Um, So in the probably 14 or 15 years since I've seen this episode, that thought has never occurred to me. Because it's always that happened in the past, so maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe that is just happening in continuity, and then we do a time jump. So pre time jump or post time jump, sorry, the introduction of every character, like you know who everybody is, 
inside of the first five minutes that they are going, with the exception of Inara, from mm-hmm. the that currently extant cast. Like, it's very clear who everybody is very quickly. And you get, like, character beats, like Wash playing with his dinosaurs. Right. It's so good. It's so good. Or, like, you know, it's just everybody is so consistently their character. It does a lot of, you get, like, you can one-liner the characters by the end of this episode, Mm -hmm. by the end of part two. You can give them a static sentence about one another or about each character, but, like, they're such deep characters that you feel like you are just really beginning to unfold and unpack what Whedon has been laying down here, which is really impressive that you get the character, yet don't get the characters simultaneously. Yeah, you have 86 minutes here, and it is designed as a television series. Like, 86 minutes in a in a movie, I want the stories to wrap up, I want the everything else. 86 minutes in a TV show, depending on the show, nothing can happen in 86 minutes. Mm-hmm. And this is truly a tight, tight, tight script. I mean, everything from the way they talk to each other, but that's a... That's a hallmark of Joss Whedon. Like, I came into this show as already a fan of Buffy, so I already knew sort of what to expect from a dialogue perspective, but the dialogue is tight, it's quippy, it's, these are obviously people, human beings, who interact with one another. Very rarely does the show sound like a writer wrote it until you realize that their conversation and quips are at times too perfect. Right. Like, like some of the stuff in the opening sequence, as good as it is for introducing the characters, is not. Some of it sounds like okay, that people don't quip at that speed, right? And people don't come back and forth at that speed often, right? But other than that, I mean, it's just it's wonderful, and we know basically nothing about the world, right? We know mm-hmm. very little. At the beginning, we know nothing at the beginning of this. We know there was a war. We know that Mal and Zoe were on the losing side. Not necessarily the wrong one. And we know that they are now salvagers, ostensibly, in space. And that they have other people that work with them now. We know nothing about the world. We know nothing about why the war happened. We know nothing about anything like that. As soon as they get to Persephone, the world is so lived in that none of that matters. No, and also you get that great uh, monologue from Badger about Malcolm Reynolds as a character. And it kind of puts everything into perspective and does a really nice job simultaneously of letting you know, even though these guys are kind of lowlifes, they're not bad guys. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not Jane. <laughs> well, the the episode does that, or the, the two-parter does that a bunch as well. Right. Like over the course of the, uh, over the course of this episode, you get that back and forth and back and forth. Cause you know, to jump forward a little bit, you get the part where, uh, um, Simon is talking about like, you know, basically, Oh, he seemed, uh, disreputable or whatever. And it's like, no, no, it definitely is not. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's not who he is. That's not who this is. That's not what this is. Yeah, that's why I like that beginning scene with Badger so much. Is it's so telling of every character in the room who's not just one of Badger's like henchmen stays in the background and never even gets a line. Yeah, it's they great. Just, I mean, they like, just pull guns. Badger himself, you understand immediately the kind of guy he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you understand exactly who Mal is. You ha- you understand who Zoe is, and you understand. Uh, who Jane is, all within that scene and them kind of exiting from the whole potential showdown. But it's, uh, I mean, an effective use of time, real quick, where it pushes the plot along, where it's like, okay, we need to move. And they start off, like Dan said, salvaging, and they have goods they have to move. And you've never seen Firefly. Why the hell are you listening to this? Seriously? But they have to move these. They have to move this. Uh, the, what you think is like gold or some kind of precious metal, off planet now and somewhere else. And otherwise, they they have no money. They have no ability to fuel up or make repairs to their ship, and they're SOL. And they're also because of their salvaging, currently wanted by the uh, the Alliance, which is the 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 group of planets kind of policing system. The the are they bad guys? We don't even know if they're the bad guys. There might not even be bad guys. Mm-hmm. They pass for bad guys, but there might not even actually be bad guys. The government. Yeah, the, the government. The government? The government. And what's also fantastic is this episode could have worked where none of the four characters that they end up taking into the ship became regulars on the show right like it's so cleanly written that book dobson simon and river though we don't know about her at the moment could have shown up and not actually mattered outside the plot of this episode yep though we all would have been far weaker and far poorer for not having had uh the rest of shepherd book no no nothing about dobson paul i hate dobson Lawrence. <laughs> We've got Dobbs in here. See, nobody cares. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, well done, Paul. So um, if we're if we're talking along through the plot, I have a contentious opinion in that the actor who plays, oddly enough, Lawrence, cannot stand that dude. And not because he's good at being a bad guy, simply because I can't stand that dude. <laughs> Like, I hate his stupid face, I hate his mannerisms, I hate his stupid jerk-off voice, I don't like anything about him at all. So, I mean, I guess good... <laughs> I hate him in that episode that of off. Seinfeld that he's in. Oh, yeah. Like, I just hate that dude. I hate <laughs> He's him. always kind of a jerk whenever he's on a, in a thing. It's not even, like, a good, like, William Atherton level, like, he's a dickhead hatred. I just fucking hate that guy. Like, if I saw him in the street, I'd punch him in the goddamn face. <laughs> like that dude just pisses me off. Like I hate looking at him. Like if he's standing there not saying anything, he's pissing me off. Carlos I, Jacob, Jack, I, yeah, I Jack guess, Hot, yeah, Jacket, Jacot, Jack off. I don't know, but Jack he, yeah. he's he, a jacket. He drives me insane, and that's just a personal thing. Like <laughs> I think he does a fine job in the show. Like he does what he is supposed to do without any kind of problem. And I think you know he's you know, flushed out a character that would otherwise be kind of boring. I just hate that fucking guy. <laughs> I, fair enough. I don't know that that's contentious, because I don't think anybody is, like, a Dobson fanboy here, but 
Most certainly I, not. I yeah. He I shoots mean, Kaylee. How can you well, I mean, like him? Be a fan of the, he could be a fan of the actor. Oh fuck that! He <laughs> shot Kaylee. The actor did only the character he played. What? That's the opposite of the quote. That was one of those classic live guns misfires on the set. They just kept it in. <laughs> classic blunder. Classic blunder. But yeah, I just I hate that dude. It's it's crazy. But everybody else, everybody else is fucking fantastic. All the way down to the aforementioned Mark Shepard. I mean, Badger's great. Mark Shepard is a fantastic character actor. Like, Mark Shepard is the kind of guy who, unfortunately, will probably never do... He'll never be bigger than TV, and I hate that I can say that, because there shouldn't be any shame in television. But the way Hollywood is currently set up, there is kind of some, you know, like, TV's the lower-class citizen. Uh, it's it's kind of turning around now with all the uh, all the networks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really becoming, like, you can play in whatever sandbox you want, but when he was... Really in his heyday, you know what I mean? On this, Battlestar, uh, Leverage, it was still not quite looked upon with that level of regard. Mm -hmm. Which is a shame, because he's really, really good. And also great at playing his father at a younger age. Yeah. Which he has done three times. You should have. You, you haven't watched far enough into BSG, uh, BSG, Dan, to see him in BSG. He's really good in that. Wonderful. I mean, to, they, I'm sure, you know, not a surprise, but his character on BSG is awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, I think I think this, I mean, like, everything kicks so quick along to this point in the episode that, you know, you don't have a minute to, like, you're, like you said, I think a good word for it is immersion. Like, you're so immersed in this world that you don't even begin to, it's like aliens or something along, like, where you just don't question it. Like, it just, they had such a natural lived in very authentic feel to everything that you just instantly were in like there was no problem even though of course fox had a lot of hesitation with the whole sci-fi western thing but i think it's and especially the east west feeling of firefly i think it's i think it works great i think in an instant you, you recognize that there's just been a melding of these cultures or at least for me it just was like oh wow that's really interesting it's just, you know, instead of fighting each other off for supremacy, they just melded together into one big blend. So it worked great. The first time I saw it, I was in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like. Once again, with this, it feels like a real world. Yep. I don't know. You know, I don't know these new people that come on, join the ship, but it feels like it feels the same way it would if like you had a, a vessel for hire, you know, and yeah. you, you brought folks on and. You have, oh shit, a MacGuffin has arisen. I think um, one of the things, it's a nice touch, and it's going to sound really stupid, but it goes as far down all the way to Kaylee's umbrella, mm -hmm. which has like a distinct, like pretty significant ding in it. Yep. And you can tell that she has this umbrella, and she uses it pretty, like, pretty consistently whenever they're planet side. So it's not like dirty and wrecked from being in the engine room. But it does have some damage from, you know what I mean, just being handled Repeat all the time. Use. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like just that. Just the, they put a ding in the umbrella, and I was just like, damn it. That's good stuff there. That's a good umbrella ding. It, I mean, just that level of attention to detail where it's just you could have just handed her an umbrella, and it's nice and it's bright and it's vibrant, and a lot of people wouldn't have touched it. But somebody just was like, unfold, bop, here you go. Mm -hmm. 
It's like really, really smart production design. Well, and the other thing, like is... good uh, set set design and props. Yeah. Oh yeah, like that was the thing I was gonna say is like this entire show was shot on sound stages, except when they do large sweeping exteriors, like uh, when Mal's sitting naked in the desert. Mm-hmm. Like, this entire show was shot on sound stages, and yeah, if you look, sometimes you can tell. Like, oh yeah, there there are certain sequences where it's just like, oh boy, they were. There's a lot of black curtains at the edge of this, and the light's not very good, so that they hope you don't notice that they're on a small soundstage. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not as bad as, like, a, a an old Universal Horror movie, where it's like, they have no care. Like, this is a stick pretending to be a tree. Yep. But it's, it's no, it's no uh, Ed Wood movie. Yeah, but it's not far off from that at certain points, but you, I, at least, even now, like, I, so I've watched the two-part episode here twice in the last week or most of it the second time i didn't get all the way through it last night like i wanted to but it i don't even care like i know that they're on a soundstage and like when they all when they all come pouring out of uh of serenity there on persephone i don't even care because it just works yeah i mean a great example is um towards the very end of this episode where um they escape the reavers mm-hmm. and uh Wash just finishes up driving, and Zoe grabs him and said, I need this man to tear my clothes off. Mm-hmm. When she grabs him, uh, they changed to a wider shot so they could fit her and everything in frame, but they didn't bother to put the uh, the actual steering mechanism in there, so Alan Tudyk is holding nothing. <laughs> and the first probably ten times I watched that episode, I never noticed that till they said it on the commentary track. And never cared, because I was just watching these people you know what I mean? Do their thing. And they were just so captivating that I never would have looked over at nothing on the side of the frame. Mm-hmm. But it is real. Like, I can't not see it now. So yeah. sorry if I ruined that shot for you. But <laughs> it is, uh, it's amazing just how captivating everything is. And because there's such a good job everywhere production, the acting, everything, wardrobe, everything is so engaging and visually interesting that I didn't even notice something off to, you know what I mean? The last, you know, 16th of the frame. Yeah. I will also say to the, it's like, I always, uh, whenever somebody walks up the one, there's one stairway that leads to nothing. Whenever somebody walks up, that goes nowhere. Yep. (laughs) But, but even with all that, and to the, you know, to the point that Paul made about the, the set design and the props and everything, this is one of the few sci-fi shows that I can think of where, it doesn't look like there's just a bunch of panels of useless buttons. No, big on the... A lot of people after, you know, Star Wars went for the ILM style of we're going to cram a bunch of uh, greeblies, is the term, <laughs> that Lucas coined for the weird little shit you stick on models that doesn't actually do anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that became huge. Flashing LED lights, you know, all that crap. Star Trek was super duper guilty of this well, especially like star trek around this time period like you had yes it's well more than it's like 15 years before but you had next gen and then you had uh deep space nine and voyager all right in that time period which were just like you see people down in engineering and they're just jabbing a nothing at a wall of blinking lights mm-hmm. and you never see that in firefly even in the dortmund dortmund dortmunder whatever the big ass alliance ship is that's in the beginning of this Dortmund? Yeah, Dortmunder. Dortmunder? The Dortmunder, yeah. Uh, there's, it, there are people, they're like, you know, analysts or whatever sitting around, but it, it's not like there's like people standing there jabbing at blinking nothing. Nope. And 
that's fantastic. Once again, goes with the, the sort of realism. You can believe that this world would exist, especially once they get, uh, you know, once they actually get into Serenity after Dobson shoots Kaylee and it's, you know, River's been uh, defrosted and Simon gives the speech about her and she's been defrosted. I, it's just funny. She was frozen today. Chill. <laughs> so after River's been defrosted and Simon's given his speech about her and Jane's going to interrogate Dobson and like, and they do the fly through, right? Cause remember the thing that we know is that that entire set was built. Like mm -hmm. you could do walkthroughs of that entire ship on a, they had it as a two level set because Joss Whedon wanted it to feel real. Yep. And you get that. Like when Mal tells Simon that Kaylee's dead. Mm. And he runs, and you get the shot of him running down the stairs and around the corner to see her laughing with Book. He's psychotic. <laughs> it's so good. You're psychotic. Yeah. That cut is, <laughs> yeah, that cut is fantastic. Yelling. Yeah, it's just so good. Yeah, and if they just feel like people. A great example is um, the dinner scene mm -hmm. early on where everybody's together around the table and they're eating, like, actual tomatoes and they're all thrilled. Yeah. And, uh, like, like, everybody does. That scene is so well-nuanced from Mal, like, he's just, like, when uh, Book asks if he can say grace and Mal says only if you say it out, like, do you have a problem with saying grace? Yeah, only if you say it out loud. Yeah, it's like, oh, like he's just he's so abrasive and he had and you know that he has to kind of exert this you know, this captain role over everybody else. And so that's really well nuanced. And then uh Jane making the awkward quip about uh Kaylee and then again Mal freaking out about it, and it's just super duper awkward. And Jane is like a dick, like just like piling food onto his plate as obnoxiously as possible. And then Mal sends him away from the table. Oh yeah. Cause he's just like, he's all pissed off cause he has to leave and he's been like, kind of, you know, demasculated, right? Is that the word? Emasculated. Emasculated. Demasculated. And, uh, deflated. Um, and he's just being a dick cause he's just like, you know, I may have to leave, but you know, I still do what I want. Mm -hmm. And Kaylee's like so innocent. Like everybody just, makes that scene work so well across and Simon asking all these questions mm -hmm. and you're just like, you don't know who this dude is. And like, why is he asking all these questions? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's all, everybody knew their shit so well. Well, and like the other thing too, is like barring Ron glass, who was obviously older and an older character, Adam Baldwin at 39 was the oldest person when they shot that. Mm-hmm. They were all like Nathan Fillion was like thirty one, uh, Jewel State was like twenty twenty, uh, Marina Backrooms twenty three, uh, Alan Tudyk was all thirty thirty one ish. So like, yeah, they were, uh, they were they were kids, like you know they they were not they were young adults, and yep, you know Gina Torres was a little you know a year or so older uh, than Nathan and Alan, and it's just like. These are people, none of whom were real industry vets, none of whom were, you know, long... Well, Adam Baldwin, because he started acting as a teenager, but... Yeah, my bodyguard. Yep. But either way, like, 
you just you believe it. And I honestly would believe they were all older than they actually were. Like Oh yeah. Like they 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 lived more and they felt more like more alive. And then cuz then you also get like Jane gets sent away from the table, but then when it's time to interrogate Dobson because he shot Kaylee, it's like, "Oh right, Jane is actually a member of the crew probably." What does he do? Public relations. On the ship. What's he do? Public relations. It's so good. <laughs> It's so every part of that's so well. That scene is in like my tops for the series. That dinner scene is so so well done. Mm-hmm. It's a great breathing moment too, where it's just kind of everything is what it is. And then total subversion of expectations. The reverse. Yeah. Like things are starting to get loose, things are starting to get a little high energy. We got Dobson captured. Kaylee's on the mend and And, yeah what's really nice too is and I mean this is no surprise with it being written by Joss Whedon but he first mentions Reavers when they're on Persephone and you get to see Jane do his little I ain't ain't getting involved with no Reavers Mm -hmm. and it's just like you are he already starts to like very very subtly put the fear of this word into you where it's just like this dude who was ready to get into a gunfight when he was like three men to one and like severely outmatched in terms of weapon quality. He was still ready to draw his weapon and start shooting at people. Doesn't want to mess with these things. What are these things? Like really, really nice. Really. I mean, again, no surprise, you know, and yeah. far be it for me to praise Joss Whedon, but you know, that's really clever writing. It's world building. It's, one of the things that a lot of science fiction and a lot of television in general does not do right in world building and actually filmmaking a lot of people do it poorly as well in that you don't have to introduce everything with a stan lee like this is someone's first comic paragraph yeah it's just a subtle throwaway line that you just it's enough to uh like remind you when you hear the word again that you had heard it before and saw that reaction so it just keeps reinforcing it so subtly like it's a line like it's two lines total on Persephone, and they move oh, they on. They human. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good. It's so cleverly done, and so, and just so like you said earlier, the script's so tight, and that's a great example of how tight that script really is. Mm-hmm. There's no wasted moments, and it's great too because you learn a lot about their characters in that moment too. Because you have Zoe and Wash and Mal and uh, Jane who are all freaking out when the Reavers show up. And you have Simon, who's like, not. And it's like, haven't you ever heard of Reavers? You know, child or ghost stories or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, Zoe's very succinct, which is very Zoe. They take the ship, rape us to death, eat our flesh, and sew our skins into their clothing. If we're lucky, in that order. Yep. And it's just like, and he even, like, Sean Meyer even plays it very, very plainly, like, oh, fuck. Right, and and that goes to be, like, that scene could have been with any other character, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Joss could have picked anyone else to be in that moment with Simon. He picked for Zoe specifically to be the one to deliver that line Mm -hmm. so that you know that shit is serious. Now we've seen Jane afraid of them, and now we've seen Zoe afraid of them. This is legitimately threatening. Yeah, you have the hired mercenary and the grizzled war veteran who are now afraid of these people. Yep. People. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like that 
and that's all you need to be afraid. And again, to slash additional expectations, they just pass on by. <laughs> they're there and they're gone. Or right. we also and, see an Anara with the syringe of presumably something to kill herself. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it is not something that's to kill herself with. Yeah, that's been confirmed by Tim Miner. And also Joss on the commentary what for the episode. It? He does not say, and he says he, at the time they recorded that commentary, which was a bajillion years ago now, yeah. um, he said he cannot confirm what it is, but it is not something to kill herself with. But if you think that, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's presumed to be that because that's what you would think. Yeah, exactly. True. But uh, Tim Miner actually later, um, during the Browncoats Unite, the 10th anniversary special, mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Miner goes into what it is. I was actually just reading this. Um, it's something that would cause anybody who was like having sex with her that isn't supposed to, like if they're if she's being raped, if she has this in her system, it kills them. So very much like we'll see in so, the coming Armistice Reynolds. Yeah, a future ep- like the it said uh, had the show not been canceled, a future episode may have involved Inara being abducted and raped by numerous reavers, all of whom are eventually found dead due to the effects of the drug. They're really going to keep that Yikes. thing uplifting. That's why I don't kiss oh, my yeah. mouth. <laughs> so, yeah, that Maybe was... it's better if it's something that kills her. Yeah, yeah, that's dark. <laughs> that's... Yeah, it... but... that's real terrifying. Well, and like, to the credit, and obviously we've got plenty more episodes to get into this, but the entire, like, Inara's entire life is dark. And it's it's yep. wonderful because it's very, it's very on its surface female focused and it's this very like i'm in control of my sexuality it's sex positive it's it's not demonizing or lionizing sex work in fact it's normalizing sex work on the surface yeah the more you look at it and the deeper you go into it and the lore and everything else it's except for mal well yeah but i mean a good example is in this very episode simon and the fucking shepherd go to like seek counsel from her. Mm-hmm. The religious figure goes to her. It's crazy. He, like, also, he's, he also brings her dinner with. Well, possibly, he goes to bring her food. Yeah. yeah well, no, I'm talking about my the, favorite line in the entire the end of the series. episode. Right at yeah. the end. Um, but with possibly my favorite line of the entire series, uh, one has lepers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Fire and brimstone, one even has lepers. lepers yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at the end, when he goes to her and she's like uh, cleaning up his forehead wound, and he's like, Is this like, like I've left, you know, planet and I've already, you know, killed a man I swore to protect and all that? He's like, I'm not even sure that, like, you know, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, what is this? And she assures him that maybe this is the exactly the place you need to be. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the place that needs you the most. And it's like he has to go get affirmation from her for that. Yeah, the, that speaks volumes of what a companion is in this world. As far as like the things that we never got out of the show and movie, a deeper understanding of companions and the culture and the training and everything else is one of the things that I've always wanted because it is such a fascinatingly normal approach to people who engage in sex work, which is something that this most major cultures on this planet cannot seem to figure out. It's 
Oh uh, yeah, there's so much to it, and clearly he put so much thought into it, mm-hmm. but still had so much more room to build on. Like it's kind of perfect. It is. It is, and you know, just especially lately, the last couple of years with regards to his feminism has come under a lot of fire, and might be one of those problematic faves we've been hearing so much about. There are certain things you cannot argue about his portrayal of a lot of female characters, and Inara is, even in this episode, straight from the jump, definitely one of them. I mean, the way she comports herself, the way she handles herself when Mal is being every normal, you know, quote-unquote normal person's response to sex workers and everything else, and just, there she is, you know? Mm-hmm. High class, highbrow, fuck you, like... Yeah, it's crazy that she was 23 and able to carry herself like that. Yeah. The... <laughs> even crazier that several years later in the unaired pilot for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, she would play the, uh, the girl with the penis that Mac is in love with. Well, you know. This is true, and now, uh, recently in both the Deadpool movies. Yep. Among other, she's been on a bunch of TV, too. So, good for mm-hmm. her. But, yeah. It's also because she shot for this episode the day she was hired, because the previous uh, woman who'd been cast in the role was let go after a day of filming. Yep. And so, like, here you are, one of your first roles on American television, you know, big American party. Shoot on day one. Just go. Just go, 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 go. Yep. And they pulled it off. She pulled it off. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then, since we are sort of going chronologically through the episode, I definitely wanted to touch on uh, Bonnie Bartlett. Patience is such a great character. Didn't she shoot you once? (laughs) She did her bit. Oh, yep. It's just Bonnie Bartlett. So Bonnie Bartlett's fantastic. Uh, I mean, anybody that's been married to William Daniels that long has to be at least slightly fantastic, but right, uh, just a great like another great character actress, you know, mm-hmm. and absolutely destroys it as Patience. Oh yeah, she's great. And that whole sequence, like where you're a hundred percent certain that you know. Mal's got Jane up there. We've, you know, we we know she's going to double cross us. It's going to be fine. Yep, she totally will. <laughs> and, you know, it ha- it has to turn into a shootout. Like, the whole thing is just so... That's where you get the Western part of the sci-fi Western. Yep. And you get... Just, and then, bam, we're right back into sci-fi part of the sci-fi Western when the Reavers show up. Oh, yeah. It's very, like, the pacing in that sequence, because, like, it's it's super tense there for a while where you're not sure if Patience is actually going to get the drop on them, even though Jane is taking out her snipers. Yeah, well, I mean, you have, like, Jane aiming at Mal through the uh, the reticle on the sniper rifle, where, like, is he going to double-cross him? Because you had previously seen the lawmen offer Jane money, yep. and you didn't know how that was going to end yet. So, I mean, there's a ton of tension there. And- any of the times Jane gets offered money for somebody, you never are quite sure how it's going to end. Exactly. So, I mean, that works really well. And then just, I mean, the scene where Wash, on a spaceship, radios over to them, and they are speeding over to the spaceship on horses mm-hmm. is, you know, pretty different. 
especially for network television. Once again, very indicative of exactly the kind of show that they were trying to uh that they were trying to make. Yep. And then Mal just shooting Dobson straight off. Just Thank God. No time for bullshit, just bam. Yep. That's very Corbin Dallas of him. Yeah, it's <laughs> it is pretty great that it's just like he just he's He's already been shot himself while grazed by a bullet previously. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm so done with this shit. Yeah. Just get this motherfucker out of here. We got some place to be. The only the only part of that scene I do not like is after they dump his body out, the door's starting to close and they both have to like run through the door. Mm-hmm. And it was an improv. They they did that just to see how they would react to them closing the door on them. Yeah, And so them, like, running through, they almost have this, and even before I knew that, it had kind of a little, like, ooh, like, feel yeah, to it. they're smiling. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Like, it just doesn't fit that moment. Like, I'd prefer that scene not be, or that shot not be in there. Mm-hmm. But that's the only Well, thing. they've done this kind of stuff a lot, though. Yeah, but I don't know if, like, as though they'd be thrilled that they just murdered someone. Like, Mal, like, Mal do it. Well, I think it was do, just they were just having like fun it. running down the ramp and jumping through a door. I mean, you can still have fun during the day, even if you <laughs> killed somebody. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Life Gotta find lessons. the little joys in life. life. Yeah, life lessons. <laughs> you can still have fun, even if you've killed someone. Dumping that corpse doesn't have to be entirely a drudgery. Ooh, the door's closing. Let's jump through. <laughs> a little bit of fun before we have to run for our lives. Yeah, a little oh, bit of fun God. before we pull off a crazy Ivan. Right, it's just there's so much insanity that that if that shot was different, I'd be happier with it. But I mean, that's such a minor nitpick. That is a two seconds of the show and then we you know we ratchet the intensity right back up again for the for the escaping the reverse sequence that's good and you have to get kaylee into the engine room and she's just you know barely you know healing from a bullet wound and oh it's just it's so good you have the the one like actual genuine moment between mal and anara where he tells her to get in the shuttle Mm -hmm. and it's just like he just touches her on the shoulder and like you can like the weight of that really echoes through the episode too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really well. I mean, again, it's again, it's Joss Whedon, but it's really, really cleverly handled. It is. Especially because book then doesn't go to the shuttle. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And you get the great Kaylee line of her trying to direct Jane and her going, look, look where I'm pointing. Yes. Yes. Like he's a small child. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And he like, do you know, like go over here and he just tears off in the opposite direction. Look, it's such look a good moment for those two. Yeah, oh, it's so good. It's such a good moment. Just you can tell that Jane is so far out of his element in that engine room. When he opens up the electrical panel, he's just like, "Really? Yeah, <laughs> this is easy. What's wrong yeah. with you?" Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. That moment is just terrific, and you have the whole Wash, who's normally like, you know, kind of out there. And when he, you know, when things get to their worst, he's like the most zen of everybody. Still making jokes and quipping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's so good. And he's just like, yeah. But they're like, they're not funny. You can tell they're like, almost like he's telling, like he's saying it out loud so he can center himself. Like, I don't mean to alarm anybody, but I do believe we're being followed. <laughs> and it's like, you can tell he's not doing that one for the laughs. But he's doing it because it's like he needs to focus so heavily on the, like all of his energy is focused on this moment. So it's really good. As someone who deeply needs to make jokes in uncomfortable and like bad situations, 
and someone who thrives when there's a million things to do and only time to do about seven. That, like, Wash in that scene speaks to me so well, because he, amidst all the insanity, he just kind of finds the zen. Yep. And it's just like, no, this is what we have, this is what has to be done now. And I'm going to keep quipping because that's who I am, but I got this. Yep. Yeah, it's just like he's so, he's not thinking about the joke. He's just speaking because that's the way he speaks. And just, he's so deeply focused that it almost sounds like he's not delivering the lines anymore. It's really a really nuanced performance from him. Mm-hmm. It's, I uh, do it's, like that quite a bit. And I mean, the effects are decent for the time and the budget, like the CG effects and everything, or pr- like you clearly can tell what's going on. It doesn't look horrendous. No, like it's, 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 it's obviously not bad. it's obviously early two thousands television CG, but it's definitely on the the upper side, the upper end of that, such as it is. Yeah, and like they went for really handheldy shots to where the camera's moving plus the object is moving, and nothing drives Paul more insane than the camera moving when he has to do a visual effect. Tracking is very hard. Yeah. And or tedious more. Yeah. yeah. It works for the way they shoot the show too. And I think it helps hide some of the CG. Is yep. you know, everything the camera's always tracking and the objects are always in motion. It's nothing is standing still. You never get a good chance to actually stop and go, Oh well, if you look there you can see the you know, you can see the wireframe for the CG. Right. Or it's not, like, so blurry, everything has a texture. Mm-hmm. And it's not, like, suddenly, like, Serenity's entirely glass-like smooth. It always has that texture and that color palette. Yeah, it doesn't look like, uh, you know, like, some of the early uses of CG in Star Trek episodes. Right. Like, it's not garbage level at by any stretch. Mm-hmm. It's dated, but it's, again, like you said, quality dated CG. Like, you can tell it was... Like, you look at it, you're like, well, you know, for 2002, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah, for like, for a show that shot, you know, 17 years ago, that's not bad. Right. So, I mean, that, the ending's great. We wrap it up like, emotionally as as, again. Yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. My, I think my favorite exchange in the episode is at the very end when Sean Marr and um, Nathan Fillion are talking and the very end line is, um, he says, I'm still flying. And Sean Mar says, well, that's not really much. And he, and then uh, Nathan Fillion looks at him and says, it's enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it takes everything you just watched and boils it down to the one, the, the one dialogue exchange. And the whole episode, you've got, it's, that's perfect. It's a perfect conclusion. It's a perfect summary for the entire way that Mal lives his life now and that this crew exists. It's one day at a time. Let's not worry about what's going to happen in three weeks. Today, we're still flying. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's really, really well done, really poignant. Again, you know, it's Joss, but man, oh man, that is a heavy line. It's elegant. It covers everything so easily. It's mm-hmm. like, oof, man, Duke can write his ass off. Yep. I mean, one of the first third generation screenwriters. Yep. So it's just so it's so good. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's gonna be the toughest thing about this podcast on the whole will be that there's so much praise 
to dump upon this series that it may it may borderline become monotonous because <laughs> See, every episode is just like man this episode's great yeah what's bad about this episode not a goddamn thing like how many ways can you say that this is fucking amazing without just constantly repeating yourself and that's the task we've uh, we've leveled on ourselves is to figure out how exactly we're going to do that going to be interesting sure is. <laughs> Sure so if you had to point out one or two things that really grabbed you, especially if you remember the first time you watched it, what do you guys think uh, would stand out as what really drew you in the first time? I assume everybody started here. Yes. Because uh, I was, I think, the only one who actually watched it via television. Again, like I said earlier, I watched I watched some episodes when it aired, but not like I did, it wasn't appointment viewing because uh, – it aired Friday nights and I was, you had friends at that time in your life. Nope. I had marching band. So you had pseudo friends. You had friends with like heavy sticks who hit you with them. Yeah, there was that. And Bly hit also them with them. Um, there was a lot of hitting with heavy sticks and a lot of like also heavy petting and you know, the things that high school band is all about. Those of you out there in listener land who are in high school band know what I'm talking about, but yeah, they know you're lying. Friday nights were for football games at that point. And so this was a show that I wanted to watch. And that's probably probably the thing that sticks with me from the first time was seeing the first trailer where like the first commercial for it, where they show Mal opening up the cryo chamber. Huh. And you just see like that's one of the first visuals I remember from this show was the commercial where like i think i think it may have even said who is the girl in the box or something it did effect. yeah because yeah. they mentioned in the commentary and joss is like well you ruined that didn't they <laughs> i mean fox ruined a lot of things but yep i like that that's one of the things that sticks out with me because that was an early like before the show came out commercial yep and so that that sticks with me uh greatly because it was like whoa okay uh yeah. that and wanting to watch the show uh for a variety of reasons um maybe not least of which but definitely uh among the reasons was because i had been a really big fan of cleopatra 2525 which also starred G- uh, gina torres mm. so the three women that keep hope alive <laughs> indeed <laughs> i mean there's not to mention you know space cases and um oh well flash forward we can't yeah we can't even talk about my actual first celebrity crush, Jewel State. Like, distinctly the first celebrity crush I remember having. And that was definitely a part of it. There you go. It's a good answer. Uh, other two? And we were also here. What, uh, what drew you to the series initially? Uh, Dan saying, hey, watch this, and handing me the DVDs. And what kept you, uh, like, what struck you the first time you watched uh, an episode? Were you, were you, I mean, because you could have just stopped, right? One episode in, you could have been like, meh. Well, in theory, yeah, but after that, no. Um, it was, it was very compelling. And just like you said early on, lived in feel that it gave made the show instantly relatable because it's just like, these characters... I've already feel like I've been watching them for a while because they're acting as though they're a part of something that has been going on for quite some time. So it's not like they're, they did a little bit of introduction, but for the most part, it was already felt like it was in the middle of what they were doing. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Paul, what, what say you? Um, similar boat as Jared. Somebody was like, here, this is good. Watch this. And I went, okay. And I watched it, and it was good. Nice. Yeah. What's uh? Is there anything in the first episode or the fir- early into your viewing that you were like, I'm going to keep watching this and not go punch the person who made me waste this time? Uh, I'd say enjoyment of the material. Okay. Well, that's for you, that's rare. So I guess I'll take what I can get on that one. I'd um, say that, um, a couple things that actually did kind of stick out now that I think about it a little bit more. Um, the idea of like the fresh fruits and vegetables being so highly sought after yep. that part of somebody's fare to go from a planet to another planet can just be strawberries mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then something else that you mentioned early on, but it makes perfect sense if you think about how the world is, that, you know, everyone's almost everyone in the world, in the verse, is bilingual, but it's not the two languages that you would expect, because English and Chinese have nothing in common as far as, you know, the letters or, you know, the dialect at all. Right. But then you think about, what are going to be the two most populous languages? And those are probably going to be like the top two, if not in the top, like definitely five of spoken languages on the earth. Yeah. At that point in time. Yeah. I remember watching the, uh, the TV, uh, the same trailer that Dan watched and just being jazzed about the idea that there was like ships covered in dust, like from a, like a bunch of like a pack of animals, you know, wander or like a ship landing next to some cows grazing. It's like, what the hell is this? And like, this was like, right. This is early two thousands and cowboy bebop was 1999. So I was just like, what? Like all this, like cowboy sci-fi just like dropped itself on me. Had you and seen I was like, cowboy bebop? Oh, by yeah. this point. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh Man, yeah. I was fucking behind. I didn't see bebop until after, uh, well, after this came out, so after I'd seen some episodes. Well, again, I moved a lot at this point in my life, so I had no friends. Mm. My friends were Spike Spiegel. <laughs> so I had I had nothing. Spiegel and Gollum. <laughs> it is pretty... I mean, Spike's such a great, iconic, badass character, not to get too far off track. The fact his last name is Spiegel is real disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> Jet's last name is Black. Like, Jet Black. That is his name. <laughs> yep. And we have fucking Spike Spiegel. Like, what a letdown. And like, jeez. Faye Fa Valentine. Faye Valentine, I mean, it's an all-timer. And then Edward, comma, Radical. But yeah, it's... Like, this stuff was... Like, I had no idea. Like, I would have never thought at that point in my life you could cross genres that way. Mm-hmm. And I was just snowed. And I was like, well, this isn't going to be as good as Bebop. And I watched the... You know, well, what the time was the train job. And I was like, oh, this is pretty fucking good. It's a little low budgety, and that's definitely Starship Trooper armor, but this is yeah. pretty damn good. And so I just stuck with it, and I was like, I don't understand what's going on, really, but this is very compelling. Like, like everybody else said, the characters melding together and their charisma, and it just always like, yeah, I got to keep watching the show. So, you know, then the DVDs came out, and I watched it in the proper order, and it made a hell of a lot more sense. Did even more. <laughs> well i think that's uh probably gonna wrap us up unless anybody else has anything they'd like to uh point to point out or otherwise can't probably say that all episodes will be an hour long but 
this was a double episode, so maybe it's a double episode. <laughs> so yeah, Serenity Part One and Two. Yeah, Serenity Part uh, Part One and Part Two. If you liked what you heard here, make sure to check us out at uh, superliminalfilms.com. We are also on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. If you are social on the internet, the chance is pretty good that we are social there as well. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>